Amen. Hey, do me a favor, high five somebody. If you're with somebody in your house, high five them. Say, hey, how you doing? Good morning. If you're by yourself, go to a mirror and just high five a mirror. If you do that, it'll, it'll look like you're high fiving, look like you have a friend in this world. Hey, welcome to Victory at Home. Victory at Home, uh, it's so good to be with you. So glad to have you with us. So glad that you'd be tuning in. We are in what I like to say phase 1.5 or one and a half. And what I mean by that is uh, phase one was to be able to come back into the school and record from the school so that those who are watching could experience more of a, a normal experience here at Victory Church. And, and we haven't quite been able to reopen yet because of the, the certain stipulations on numbers, but we have got other things happening right now. So let me just give you a couple of things that are happening for you in case you're wanting to experience some fellowship or just continue to experience the Sunday worship service at Victory Church. Number one is this, that you can watch online, uh, again, every Sunday live at 9.30, or you can watch on demand at any point. Uh, we encourage you right now, start sharing that. Share that with some of your friends. Send it to your family. This is the easiest way for them to partake in uh, Sunday experience at church. Uh, the second thing we got going on is we are starting to open up just a few seats right here in the school. We're calling it our behind the scenes of the live recording. Uh, our maximum number is 25, and obviously we have a, a certain amount of people involved in the production team and the worship team. And so we're taking those spots and we're opening them to you. So at the beginning of every week, you can reserve one of those spots and you can come in. There's social distancing, there's all kinds of things, protocol in place, but you can come and kind of get a taste of what it's like. So we got a few people with us today. Let me, let me hear you real quick. Y'all enjoying being in here today? All right, so we got a few with us, so do me a favor, jump on there and reserve your spot for next week and be able to come in here and experience worship and the word live. Last but not least, I'm really excited about this. We have just started what we call circle gatherings. Circle gatherings are that families, individual families in our church have opened up their home and they're inviting you know, a certain small group, really small group of people into their home to experience the service, to watch the service together, have some food, fellowship. We've got some meeting right now watching, so I wanna say what's up, circle gatherings. I can't wait to get your whole entire circle in here one Sunday with us. So hey, if you wanna be a part of one of those, you can text us or you can email us questions at tnvictory.com, and we'll be able to connect you with a circle gathering that's happening in your area. Or hey, if you just want to lead one, you want to start one, you can contact us as well, and we'll give you all the resources so that your house can start being a place where five or six or 10 people can gather, watch service together, and so on. Y'all excited about that? Excited about circle gatherings? Okay, all right. So here's what we're doing. Today, we are officially launching a brand new series called The Journey. Uh, if you didn't hear what I talked about last week, the whole concept was I was already starting to prepare and lead our church down this road of what I was calling living room leaders, which was what, what are we called to do for God and in this season and all this. And I just felt the Spirit of God tell me, before we get focused on what we're supposed to do for God, we need to make sure that we're clear on who God is and who Jesus is. And so I, I, through all the study and the prayer, we came to the conclusion that what we wanted to do is we wanted to take the book of John. And the reason we chose the book of John is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, theologians say, are kind of built around the idea of what Jesus did and what Jesus said, while the book of John is built more around who Jesus is. And so we're actually taking the book verse by verse, chapter by chapter, per se, and, and we're going through it and asking and looking at what John said and deciding who is Jesus based off the book of John. 
There's a couple of resources out there for you I really want to encourage you to do. We have a website, uh, tnvictory.com slash join the journey. You can go check that out on our website, and you can actually join the journey. So there'll be an area where you can click and join the journey. Here's what you're doing for that. You're registering. Here's what that's doing. It's letting me know that you're doing it so I can kind of reach out to you, connect. I could share with you some you know, behind-the-scene type things that I'm learning as I'm studying the book of John. And it's just a fun time to know that we're doing it together. I can hold you accountable. Also on the website are some resources. One of my, my favorite resources on there is what is a quiet time guideline. And so if you've been at Victory Church for any time, you know I talk a lot about having a quiet time and the importance of that. <clears throat> and so this, this particular sheet is gonna break down what is a quiet time, why do you need a quiet time, and then most importantly, how to have a quiet time. And so jump on there, you can download that. There's also study sheets every week because here's what's gonna happen. As I'm preaching through the book of John, I can't preach every verse from that chapter. So I'm gonna be picking specific verses uh, to be able to make the point that we're going, and then I'm gonna encourage you to go look at the study sheet, and the verses that I didn't preach will be on that study sheet, and we'll be broken down a little bit, giving you some feedback on those verses, so that when this is over, we feel like we studied the entire book of John. There's also some social media things on there that you can use to share, where you can invite your friends to join you in the journey. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Right now, I want you to start messaging your friends, sharing your friends, asking them to join you for the journey. One more thing before we jump into it. I really want to encourage you to get a paper Bible and a journal during this series. Especially those of you that are meeting in here with me, uh, I want you to be able to have your Bible that you can look at. I understand that it's 2020, we're all on phones, but you can't take notes on your phone. Maybe you can, I don't know. But you can definitely write in your Bible. You've got the journal. And here's, here's what the journal's about. After this is over, now, I wanna prepare you. This, this series has potentially, or will potentially go to the end of the year, possibly longer. But there's so much information we're gonna talk about <clears throat> that if you will put in your journal, once this is you know, over, the series is over, you'll be able to go back to your journal and be like, oh, th these are the things I learned about Jesus. And you'll really be able to define who Jesus is. So get you a paper Bible, get you a journal, and be ready every week. Get in front of the TV, put the AirPods on so you can listen to the podcast, and let's learn together who is Jesus. You excited? You excited? I'm excited. I think you will be the further we go. So we're going to start John chapter one, here we go, all right? So John chapter one, verse one, we're gonna jump right into it. I'm gonna read it and then begin to break it down a little bit. John chapter one, verse one, starts like this. In the beginning was the word. So right off the bat, Jesus is referred to as the word. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the word. And the word, Jesus, was with God. So in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus is with God, and the word was God. This is where John is kind of paying homage to the Trinity aspect. And he says it was in the beginning he was, I'm sorry, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. So now all things are being made through Jesus, right? And without him, nothing or not anything made that was made. So everything was made through Jesus, right? In him was life. So now Jesus is the word. Now everything's been made through him. Now he's the life. And the life was the light of men. So now he's the light. So these are just attributes we're getting of Jesus. He's life. He's light. He's the word. All this. This is one of my favorite parts in these particular uh, verses. The light shines in the darkness. So Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's, that's, a, that's awesome, right? That's good news, that our Savior is light in the darkness, and that darkness has not overcome him. And then he goes on to say, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not John who's writing this book. This is John the Baptist. 
and Baptist was not his denomination. Baptist was what he did, right? So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, so John is a witness, to bear witness about the light. So John came to bear witness about Jesus, that all might believe through him, so that through John the Baptist, those who hear about Jesus will believe about Jesus. Listen to me, right off the bat, people who know Jesus should be sharing Jesus with people who don't know Jesus, and they should be coming to know Jesus, right? I'm gonna touch on that in a little bit. Since he was not the light, talking about John, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, and then watch this, the true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. So Jesus is the light, gives light to everyone, and he's coming to the world. This message I wanna preach to you, I wanna wanna call it fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Tell the person beside you, say, fill in the blank. If you're watching online, comment in there, fill in the blank. Just do fill in the blank. That's the title of the message today, the beginning, launching message of this series. I I thought I'd have a little fun. Uh, You know, I I know we're a little, little, you know, it's rainy or whatever the weather is. We're kind of tired. So I figured I'd wake us up a little bit with some some fun uh, introductions. So here we go. I'm gonna give you a sentence and I want you to fill in the blank, all right? So, so if you're watching online, I want you to comment, all right? All right what would be really funny is if you used emojis, right? If you use that to fill in the blank. So I'm gonna, give you, I'm gonna give you a statement, and I want you to fill in the blank. One word, two words, and I want you to tell people around you what you're filling in. All right, you ready? So I'm, I'm gonna give you one to test on, just so you know where I'm going. Chick-fil-A is blank. Great, okay, I like that one. What we get, anybody else? The best. Manifested manna, right? The finger of God, all right? Yeah, we're gonna need, we're gonna need more examples. Go ahead and post on there because the people that are here are being very boring. So go ahead and post on there. Give, give me some emoji for Chick-fil-A, all right? So Chick-fil-A is blank. Here's the next one, you ready? The fall season is blank. Near. Near? <laughs> the best. PSL, right? I don't know, it's a, it's a drink. Okay, um, and what we got? The fall season is Pumpkin spice latte, see? It's a, okay, we're moving on. Okay, um, here you go. You ready? Ready? This, this will be a fun one. Adulting is blank. Oh, right. <laughs> I just hear all these like groans. It's not even an answer. It's an expression, right? Ah, adulting is ah, L. Adulting is L, right? I can't wait to see the emojis for adulting. Okay, here, here, here's one. Get ready for this one. 2020 is blank. Unreal, Unreal blank. Don't, you can't put bad words in the comments. Okay, this, this is a church service. And so 2020 is blank. All right, we'll, 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 turn, we'll turn the corner here a little bit. Church is blank. I'm, I'm, okay. You know what, guys? I, we'll, we'll just interact on camera because they, they, nobody's with me today. Church is what? Life-changing. Life-changing. What'd you say? Amazing. Revival. Necessary. Ooh. I think I paid everybody to give me answers on that. All right, all right. Here's the last one. I don't want you to say it out loud. I want you to really think about it. All right? I want you to, I want you to think about it. And if you have not participated up to this point, um, participate now, okay? So, so think about something, get it in your head, and let's see where it goes forward. You ready? Here we go. Last one is Jesus is blank. Jesus is blank. Blank. Go ahead and get, get, get something in your mind, maybe one word, maybe two words. Get in your mind of what you think Jesus is. I, I think it's really interesting that 
in 2020, in our current culture, in our current day, that, that blank could be different amongst so many people. It depends on who you really grab and ask to what you get the answer when Jesus is blank. There's really no telling what all you would get. Matter of fact, in the Bible, Jesus has 198 names or titles. So, I mean, that, that, that's, that's a wide variety of identity to try to assign to someone. So when somebody says, who is Jesus to you? Just in the Bible, you have 198 different references you can refer to. Not, not to, to then add whatever your personal life produces or what you've heard in a church service or what you've heard through your parents or through life experience. 198 different names. And the reason why I really wanted to not go after those names but really focus on the book of John is for this reason. John is not describing Jesus from literature. He's not reading records that were taken in synagogues and temples and reading what other people experienced Jesus to be and then turning around and re-presenting it to us. He's not looking at nature. He's not looking at past. John has described Jesus to us, watch this, after actually being with Jesus for three years, he was with Jesus. And so it wouldn't make sense, right, that we would value what he says about Jesus a little bit more than what a pastor might say or, or what a, a certain written book might say. Let me, let me put it like this. You could go to Jamal right now and you could say, Jamal, I want to learn a little bit about Troy. Tell me about Troy. And we've been together now for 20 plus years something. So you could tell them a lot, right? A lot, like stuff that might make them leave Victory Church, right? And so you could tell them a lot. But if you really wanted to know about me, you would go to Darla because Darla has been with me nonstop for what feels like 20 plus years. I love you, babe. So there's so much more detail there, right? Because there's a level of intimacy. And so when John refers to himself all throughout his book, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loves, there's such intimacy there that it would make sense that you and I would go to John and ask, who is Jesus? I don't want someone else's perspective. I don't want literature. I don't want you to give me a word that's passed down. I wanna talk to the one who was there. I wanna talk to the one who at night slept in the same room with Jesus, right? Who knows Jesus' bedtime routine. Like, what did that look like? Did he brush his teeth, right? Did he say his prayers? Like, you know, what did that look like? Who knew his morning routine, knew that when he woke up in the morning, Jesus wasn't gonna be there because he was out doing his morning prayer time. Someone who walked with him and watched him interact with people when they were eating dinner, watched him sit down at last suppers, watched him conversate, watched him call sin, sin, and sinners, sinners, and then love them anyway, right? Watched him get caught in conversations with Pharisees and Sadducees and make them look silly. And eventually watching him be beaten, arrested, accused, carry his own cross, stabbed, crucified, bleed, and then die. And then resurrect. That is why I go to the book of John and I ask, who is Jesus? According to you, John, who was with him, with him, set beside who is Jesus? So this entire series, the journey, is a journey through the book of John for that reason, because I wanna know, according to John, who is Jesus? 
And I believe that if I will study it and receive what it says, that my life will be changed in the same way that John's life was changed. So let's start it. Start with John chapter one and jump in at verse 10. It says, he was in the world, talking about Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Think about that. Jesus was in the world. He was around those people, and yet they did not know him. Sound familiar? Sounds like our culture today, that Jesus would be present with us, that his Holy Spirit is present, his church, ecclesia, is present, and yet people do not know him. And what's worse than that is people are sitting in his churches, reading his literature and praying his prayers and still don't know him, right? Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and watch this, and his own people did not receive him. This really sounds like our current culture today. That not only is he coming here, he came to save us. And yet we're still going, ah, no thanks. I kind of, I like my own truth, you know? Watch this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's so important. To all who chose to believe in him, he made them sons and daughters of God. And we're gonna talk about that. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus, according to John, comes and anybody who believes in him is reconciled to a right relationship with God. We're gonna talk more about that, but I just wanted to set that up, okay? So walk with me for a second. Jesus comes on the scene. He's a baby and he's popular. People are traveling to bring him gifts. Jesus is a young man and he's popular. The Bible says he was in the synagogues preaching with authority and people were just standing around listening to him. And then Jesus becomes an older man in his 30s and begins his ministry. And watch this. From the moment Jesus sets his foot on the scene, Jesus is irresistible. Think about that. From the second Jesus shows up as a baby, as a kid, and now as an adult, he is completely irresistible. People who do not like him, I'm sorry, people who are not like him, like him. Think about that. People who are nothing like him, like him. And he likes people who are nothing like him. That's so profound to me. Here is Jesus stepping on the scene and people who are nothing like him, like him. He's, watch this, he is irresistible to sinners, but he's irritating to the religious. Isn't that interesting? That here comes Jesus on the scene and he's irresistible. Everybody loves him. Watch this, Jesus asked people to follow him who are unbelieving, right, who are uh, misbehaving and out of control bad people to follow him and they jump at the opportunity. I, I think that's the thing we really have to wrap our minds around, that Jesus shows up on the scene and he doesn't go look for the religious. Because if we were to study Jesus and he shows up on the scene and he's all of a sudden liked by religious people, that would make sense, right? 
If Jesus was always ushered in the back door to all the churches, sit on the front row, if the pastor got up and highlighted him and then he came up and he talked to a room full of Christians, then it would make a lot of sense that he's so liked. But what's confusing and where the real tension is, is that Jesus is talking to unbelievers, misbehaving, out of control people, inviting them to follow him. And then watch this. They're jumping at the opportunity. Yes, yes. And not only are they jumping at the opportunity, watch this. They're inviting Jesus to their house and then they are calling up all of their misbehaving, out of control, unbelieving friends and going, you gotta come over here and hang out with this Jesus guy. How, how does that not mess with our psyche, right? Why isn't Jesus walking in and all of a sudden just you know, putting all the contradiction out and putting them down and telling him how wrong he is and then all, watching all of his sinner friends run away? But the tax collector walks in, do, 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 do. Man, dude, you got to get over here. Like Jesus, who, Jesus, Jesus. He's at, your, he's at my house. And this dude is awesome. He's irre You got to come over here and meet him. And in come all the unbelievers, all the misbehaviors, and they're all coming in because Jesus is so likable and lovable and irresistible. So here's the question that got me on this journey, and it's the question that has brought us all to this journey. You ready? If Jesus was so irresistible then, why are so many people resisting his church today? That's where I'm confused. If Jesus was so, if Jesus never changes, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then how was he so irresistible then, but seems to be resistible now? Something's not right. A recent nationwide survey shows that 25% of Americans consider themselves to have no religious affiliation, all right? That, that group of people is actually called the nuns. That's what they call them, none. It means they have, they're, they're not necessarily saying that they're agnostic or atheist, and they're certainly not saying that they're Christian, but they're saying that they have no religious affiliation, okay? 25% of Americans. Now, when I first saw that, I thought, that's not that bad. 75% of Americans are. I mean, you know, you win some, you lose some. And then I continued to read, and here's what it said. 25% of Americans means just under 56 million people. Wow. So 56 million people claim that when it comes to religious affiliation, they are a nun. Here's the craziest thing. They say majority of those people are either post-church or de-churched people which means at one point they had a religious affiliation, but something happened either in church or with theology or whatever the system was, and they decided to then remove themselves from that religious affiliation, therefore making them a nun, N-O-N-E, uh, -N -N -E. I'm, I'm a nun, okay? 25, 56 million people, none. Another survey said that 65% of Americans that are between 18 and 29 do not go to worship experiences. They don't go to church. So 56 million people are saying that they have no religious affiliation, and then 65% of this age range of 18 to 29 are saying that they don't go to church. So whether they believe in Jesus or not, they don't go to church, okay? And then we had one guy doing this study, and he was quoted saying this, millennials are walking away from the faith that they grew up with in record numbers. This is crazy to me. 
So 56 million people say no religious affiliation. 65% of 18 to 29 year olds say, even if I think Jesus and God are real, I'm not going to church, right? I'm not gonna worship him. And then millennials are leaving the faith that they grew up in all of the Bible studies and all the junior Bible quizzes and all the Sunday schools and all the sidewalk Sunday schools or whatever the summer Sunday schools, whatever they are, all the things they went to, they are walking away from it in, in rapid, rapid fashion and record numbers. So I read all of that and so many more statistics with that that I did not put on here. And here was my question, why? Why? Let me, let me phrase it in a better question. What did people believe that they no longer believe that makes them no longer a believer? It's a pretty fair question, right? I mean, I'm talking to hundreds of people online. Maybe this falls in the category of you or a family member of a friend. What did they believe that they no longer believe that now makes them no longer a believer? What did they stop believing? Did they stop believing that church was worth it? Did they stop believing that Jesus really died for our sins? Did they stop believing that Christians are actually good people? <laughs> like, like what did they stop believing? And listen to me, the church has done, a, the, the American church movement has done a phenomenal job at staying relevant and moving and being up to date with the current cultures. I'm gonna be honest with you. The church experience as a whole, I'm not just talking about Victory Church, but church, I have buddies who pastor churches here and in Murfreesboro and Clarksville and all over the world, okay? The, the overall American church movement is the most excellent that it's ever been. Seriously. Think about this. The, the church movement itself has, has been relevant and, and has been fluid with its architectural, right? We went from the steeples and all that, and, and now some of those still exist and they're beautiful, but you're starting to see churches look more and more like normal buildings. So if there was ever some hesitancy from people when walking into a church building, now a church building looks like a Kmart, right? Or whatever is an actual, you know, Kmart's not even exist anymore. Um, and so they, you know, we got, got, you got churches in coffee shops and churches in schools, and you know, it's just, it's just they've just stayed relevant. Think about the music. The church movement, the American church movement, music has stayed relevant. Certainly there's hymns, and then there's kind of your modern day music, and then we've learned how to kind of, you know, marry the two, so that whether you're 80 or eight, you can be in a worship experience and feel like you know what's happening. We're watching church, uh, churches all around the world implement rap. They're implementing rock. One of our guys used to have a mohawk. Right? We were implementing it all, you know? Now he just has curls. Um, rest in peace, Jeff's Mohawk. But, you know, I mean, rap and, and dubstep is a thing in church now. I mean, like, we're, we're, they're implementing everything, right? And even the pastor's way of communication has stayed fluent and relevant to where you see some pastors doing more of a TED talk and some have the TV on stage, which I think I'm gonna be going to soon. Uh, some are, are more fire preachers and, and some are more talkers and some are more deep study and some are more passionate. Like it just constantly stays fluent because more than ever, the church experience is excellent. Let me prove my point. What other organization can you pull up to There'll be an individual standing in the rain waving at you, right? That individual's more than likely not paid. 
And when you get out of your car, you will be given an umbrella and you'll be walked into the building under the umbrella and then you come in and there are people smiling, right? And they're like, welcome. When they don't know who you are and they're like, welcome to church. And they bring you in, they take you and there's all this free coffee and maybe free donuts depending on what church it is and you're getting free coffee and free food and then they take you to this area of the church where they say, guess what? You can leave your kid here for like an hour and a half. This, this doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. In Ikea, you have to have a membership to leave your kid there. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we should start doing. If you don't have a membership, you can't bring your kid to church. That's what we should start doing. I'm just kidding. Don't judge me. But, but you know, you, you can drop your kid off, and your kid's treated perfectly and fed snacks and taught about Jesus, and then you go into this air-conditioned room, right, with lights and smoke and fantastic music, and the atmosphere is great, and then the pastor gets up and does an encouraging word, and all getting you out in an hour and 10 minutes, because the last thing we want to do is make you late to lunch or miss football kickoff. And so then you're out and you're on your way and everybody's greeting you. Look, listen to me. The church experience has never been more excellent. Am I right? Do you know there was a time where people went to church and had to keep their kids with them? Imagine what that must have been like. The Holy Spirit fell every week, right? Because parents were saying things to their kids that should have been said in tongues. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just an experience. Listen to me. The American church movement, movement has never been more attractive, but fewer people are attracted. The American church movement has never been more interesting, but fewer people are interested. The American church movement has never been more irresistible, yet people are resisting. Why? What has happened? And I had this thought. Darla's parents live in Memphis. They actually live in an area called Arlington. And Arlington has a lot of land in different places. And there's this one back road that we take a lot of times when we are going from their house to the, to the city of Memphis. And in this back road, there is a horse stable. Okay, So when you make the right on the road and you start going down, there's this massive, it's beautiful, beautiful horse stable. And you're going down the road, and there's all these signs telling you about, you know, how you can take horse rides and how you can get training and how they got some of the best trainers. And, you're, and you know what's funny is to this day, I'm 36 years old now, I think. To this day, I have never pulled in to that stable. I have never been driving down the road and went, oh, do, 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 and pulled into the stable. Now, here's the deal. It's not because... The stable wasn't gorgeous. It was. Like, it's, it's beautiful. Beautiful barn, a lot of land, a lot of space for you to run around with the horses. It's incredible. And I'll be honest with you, it's not because I can't afford it. Like, I can move some money around and, and pay for horse lessons. You know what I mean? It, it's not even because I don't know what a horse is. Because I'm very familiar with what a horse is. And it's not because I've never ridden a horse because I have. I've actually ridden one in an ocean before in Jamaica, right? So I mean, I'm big timing, right? So none of those are the reason. So here's my question to the entire world. Why, did, why to this day have I never pulled into the horse stable? And here's the answer. You ready? I'm just not a horse guy. I just, my wife loves them. 
I don't really care about them. I'm just not a horse guy, right? People are all on me about watching Lord of the Rings. Why aren't you watching Lord of the Rings? I'm just not a Lord of the Rings guy. Yeah, you know, be honest with you, soccer. I'm, I'm just not a soccer guy. You, anybody, you, you got something like that? That's just, you know, you're just, I'm just not that girl. I'm just not that guy. Post-church and de-churched people today are finding even the best churches resistible because honestly, they're just not church people. It's not that the pastor's not a good preacher. He's a great preacher. I, I, enjoy, I, hear, I enjoy listening to him. It's not that the people aren't nice. The people are really nice. And it's not that the kid, I mean, my, my kid loved the kid. We were leaving. My kid was begging me, let's go back. I'm just not really a church guy, right? I'm just not really a church girl. Which brings me to this. The answer isn't to make better churches. The answer is to return to the new covenant, love-focused, servant-driven, foot-washing, resurrected Jesus that started this all to begin with. Right? That's where we've messed up. Because people are able to look at the experience and go, ah, that's not really for me. And we've made everything excellent. We've made it as quick as you need it to be and as enjoyable as you need it to be. But what happened is at some point we got away from Jesus. And when we get away from Jesus, watch this, things get to a point where we can resist them. The church wasn't irresistible in the Bible. Jesus was. Christ followers weren't irresistible in the Bible. Jesus was. Worship music, kids ministry, coffee was not irresistible in the Bible. Jesus was. But at some point, we got so worried that people were going to have a problem with this Jesus guy because Jesus knows how to call sin a sin and sinner a sinner and yet love them anyway. That we got so worried that we were going to have to prepare people for Jesus that we got focused on all the things that represent Jesus, but we forgot about him. And we have to return to the new covenant, foot-washing, love-focused, servant-driven, death then resurrected life of Jesus Christ. And if we will get back to that, then it's only fair and it only makes sense that then his church will then again become irresistible. So, that was my beginning of this series in case you're ready to go for the next 22 weeks potentially. But I did want to kind of leave you with the first description we get for Jesus. For your journals, if you're not ready for this series already, something's wrong with you. Like this, this is gonna be life changing. And I said this last week, you ain't got nowhere to go, right? You might as well watch it. What are you gonna do, wear a mask and go to Publix? You might as well watch this. You can watch it without a mask, you know what I mean? Like in your home, don't go out in public. But, so, so, so here, we, so, so let, let's, let's get ready. I'm gonna give you, get your pens ready, get your journal ready, get, get ready. I'm gonna give you one of the first Fill in the blanks that John gives us. You ready? So, so this is one of the first fill in the blanks. If you're writing in your journal, Jesus is, you wrote a little blank line. Here we go. According to John, you ready? Here we go. Jesus is the Lamb of God. 
wah, wah, right? Like, like, here's what I mean. Let me show you. John chapter one, verse 29 to 31 says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, another version says, behold. Here's what it means. Hey! Hey! He got all the, everybody! You ever had anybody who gets everybody's attention? Everybody, look at me! Yes! Get ready for the one, the only, right? You're you're, you're like, who is this going to be? Is it going to be Jesus, the warrior king? Right? You imagine it? It's going to be like Jesus, the greatest God of all above words that sound great. Like, like what is John going to say? I can't wait. What's John going to say? Because what he's about to say is ultimately the logo for Jesus, right? Behold, he got a little curtain. <laughs> Y'all ever seen one of you got like the magician behind the curtain, you know? He's like, get ready, the magnificent. And like, and he comes out, you know, like, like this is that moment. It's like, get ready. Behold, Jesus, the lamb. What? Ta-da! Kind of a letdown, right? Like, this is, I was a warrior king. Like, where, where like, I was, I was expecting, like, the grizzly bear. You know what I mean? Or, like, machine guns or something. Like, we need, we need something that's, like, you know, it's a logo. And, like, What's my logo for Jesus? Boop. Right? And it's like, so, Darla and I are at Universal Studios. And I, and I shared that Darla's been getting me to watch Harry Potter. I'm getting into it. It's, it's been fun. And we're at the park, and we're riding the shuttle back to our hotel. And she says, you've got to find out what house you are. It's like, What? So in Harry Potter, let me educate you. Sit down for a minute. Enjoy this. There are four houses in the movie Harry Potter. I was going to try to remember them. I don't remember them at all. But, but there's four of them. And you kind of go through this test situation, and it tells you which house you're a part of. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm doing it. And a little screen on my phone pops up, and it goes, you're a part of the Hufflepuff house. Yeah, doesn't sound great. I know. I was like, Cocoa Puffs? Like, you know. So I'm like, babe, I'm, I'm Hufflepuff. So I am. And she does her test, and boom. Hufflepuff. And she's like, oh, babe. I'm like, babe, like we're Hufflepuff. Oh my gosh. You know, it's amazing. Oh my gosh. And she says, what's our logo? Or no, she said, what's our mascot? And I was like, I don't know. So, so we, we, we go down the phone screen and it was a badger. Isn't that disappointing? Like I was expecting like, you know, like a, like some kind of, like a massive snake or like a, you know, like a gr- grizzly bear or, you know what I mean? Like a shark. A badger? I was disappointed. And it's so funny to me that John has this moment to introduce us to Jesus, and he's like, here he is, the lamb. And to us, in our culture today, we don't interact a lot with lambs. Matter of fact, this is the closest I've been to a lamb in the 37, 36 years of life that I've had. Matter of fact, this is Casey Ray's lamb, whose name is Lamb Lamb because we're very creative with our stuffed animal names. So when we hear, oh, hey, who's Jesus? We sit down for a second. Okay, hey, hey, Christian, tell me, who's Jesus? And then you hear, well, he's the Lamb of God. You don't get excited because you don't even know what that means. 
He's the Lamb of God. Great. But when John said it then, there was so much meaning behind it that it was very clear to the people he was talking to what he was implying. So let me give you just a little bit of a history lesson. So as God creates man, you know this story, most of us, Adam and Eve sin, which then caused separation from God because God is holy and cannot be around sin and now man has sinned. So there is this separation where God can no longer be with man, but God loves us and yearns to be in relationship with us. And so he wanted to re-counsel, reconcile, sorry. He wanted to reconcile that relationship with us. So he actually tells Adam and Eve, I've got a plan down the road. But until that plan, he puts in what I like to call an old agreement. Find it as far back as Genesis 22 with Abraham. And the old agreement was this. It had already been stated that the wages of sin were death. So in order for your sins to be forgiven, the payment was a, a death of a, of, a, of a perfect, pure, spotless thing, individual person, okay? So in order for us to be reconciled with God, something perfect had to die. God's old agreement was, instead of you having to die, I'm gonna substitute you with a lamb. So actually, Check this out. The average individual had to sacrifice two lambs a day. They had to sacrifice one at twilight, so right when the sun's kind of going down, and that lamb that they killed represented the forgiveness of all the sins they had committed that day leading up to that moment. Then they had to sacrifice another lamb the morning, the next morning, and that lamb, uh, it, it, it took away all the sins that they had committed after the twilight sacrifice. That makes sense? So every person that wanted to be in right relationship with God daily had to sacrifice two lambs. Two lambs. What? That's over 700 lambs a year. Can you imagine this process? You wake up in the morning, you go, you gotta get a pure spotless lamb, so it's a process. You gotta pick out a good one. You get one, you take it, sacrifice it, you go on about your day, you sin. Now the evenings come around, so you gotta go pick up another lamb, and you gotta come, and you gotta sacrifice it. But this is so powerful because God put in to process this agreement because he didn't want his children to have to die. But he's a just God. So sin could only be forgiven by death. So God sets up this old agreement and this old system that says, I will allow a lamb to be substituted for you so that you can have those sins forgiven and so that our relationship can be right again. But then something happened. Kind of started to realize that people were more just kind of treating it like a get out of jail free card, right? I can pretty much do whatever I want to all day as long as I get that lamb on the altar by morning and by twilight. And what God started to realize is watch this, people were looking at it more like a ritual than a relationship. Their desire wasn't sacrifice the lamb so that I can be reconciled with God. It was sacrifice the lamb so that I can do whatever I want to in between. And that's when the Bible says that God says, I'm gonna put in place a new agreement, moving us into the New Testament. And he said, watch this, this time, instead of it being a lamb, it's gonna be Jesus. And so watch it, 
you went from having a lamb be the substitute to now it's Jesus. So when he says, behold, the lamb of God, what he's implying is this, behold, the new substitute for you. Now, now, now here's, here's the most powerful moment that I think we tend to forget. We don't have to sacrifice Jesus every morning in twilight, right? Jesus' sacrifice got his legs crossed was a one-time thing. And I think this is so powerful because I think the illustration here that we have to catch is I think so many of us live day to day with this attitude of did I perform well enough to earn Christ's crucifixion? But the crucifixion was enough from the beginning. So it's not a process where every day we have to sacrifice Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice is done. And that's why the Bible says all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ died. I don't need him to die again tonight, Jamal. I just believe that he died before. And because he died, because he was my substitute, right? Now I get to walk in freedom and I get to be saved. Listen, if you're watching and maybe you've never really understood the gospel and why it's good news, the good news is that you didn't have to pay the debt for your sin. The good news is that there was a substitute and it was a lamb, but that lamb was the lamb of God. And that's why he is that logo. That's why it's who Jesus is. And before we can ever get deeper into who Christ is, you have to understand that above all, he's the sacrifice for your sins. He is the lamb of God. So no matter who you are, John said he's the light for everyone. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, female, male, old, young, Baptist, Assembly of God. It doesn't matter. Everyone, Jesus died. Now, now watch this. I, I, I want to give you an illustration that I think is important. Because scripturally, it lays out all of the descriptions of the lamb that you were going to sacrifice. Had to be without blemish, spotless, couldn't have broken bones, all these. I mean, it was, just a, it was a list of things. So I thought this was interesting. As the individual is standing in line to sacrifice his lamb, they never once had conversation about church attendance. Like, oh man, I didn't get to the synagogue enough this week. Yeah, me either, man. I haven't been since Tuesday. Right? The conversation wasn't about how much of the Torah they had read. Well, I only memorized Deuteronomy. What about you? I'm still in Genesis. Like, the conversation was about the lamb. Because I'm convinced that all of their concern would have been about the lamb. Is the lamb good enough? Do you, look at my lamb. Do you, do you see anything? Casey Ray asked me, oh, this is so, oh, this is so Holy Spirit-led. Casey Ray asked me because I was using this. She asked me, we were in breakfast. She said, Daddy, can you use him? He has a broken leg. I couldn't get into theology and go, technically, no. But wouldn't all of the concern been about the sacrifice? Is he, is he good enough? Is, is, he, is he pure enough? Do you, do you, see, look, do you see any blemish? Because I don't want to get up here and go to sit him down and then be like, oh, he's not pure. I got to go all the way back. I don't want, is the lamb good enough? Isn't it funny how the conversation there of is the lamb good enough has somehow changed to are we good enough? 
And for some reason, we quit focusing on the fact that it's the lamb, not us. The concern is not, are you good enough? The concern is not, are you without blemish? The only concern ever was, is the lamb. And there's scripture all throughout that points to the fact that he was spotless, blameless, sinless. He was enough. And so let's just get something real straight, real quick. If John wants us to understand anything, it's not that you have to be perfect. It's that you just have to understand that he was. And because he is the Lamb of God, it's him. I bought this for a couple things I'm gonna do in this series. I'm not gonna lie to you, man. I got so emotional when I pulled him out of the Amazon package. I don't have stuffed animals. Let's get something straight. I'm so in love with him. And I hate that over time the message has become how good we are instead of how good he was and how good he is. He is the Lamb of God. The one who paid it all. How, how does that song go? Praise the one who paid our debts and raised this life from the dead. Does that imply that we've earned the resurrection in our life? Does that, does that even imply that we got better? It just implies that the lamb was spotless and pure. And because he was the lamb of God, because he paid it all, because he paid those debts, then this life is raised. So let me say two things and I'll close. Number one is this, every individual that's listening, that you're watching, and you have never accepted Christ as your savior, here's the idea, is that you are a sinner. And according to Romans, the cost for sin is death. And Jesus climbed up on a cross and he became that lamb. He allowed the crucifixion to be his logo so that you could be forgiven for your sins and so that you could quit worrying about how good you are and start focusing on how good he is. That's where we're starting this week. Jesus is the lamb of God. Receive him, believe in him, and you will be reconciled to God. The Bible says that Jesus reconciled us in our relationship to God, and now we have the ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God just by believing that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who died for your sins. Starts there. You can pray that prayer right now. We'll give you some instructions towards the end if you want a little bit more information, but, but this thing has to start with you understanding that above all things, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, let me say this. I thought, as I was going through this in my head, started thinking about the ritual that this became, right? Like the get out of jail free card. Like I'm gonna do whatever I want all day, and then at the end of the day, I just need to present, right? And I think if we're not careful, it becomes the same thing with Jesus. 
And then in our culture today, if we're not careful, Jesus becomes the get out of free, get out of jail free card. I'm gonna do whatever I want, but at the end of the day, I'm gonna represent Jesus. If I just say I'm a Christian, right, I can do whatever I want. And before we know it, we find ourselves in a place of ritual instead of relationship. And what I want this series to do more than anything is that if we've gotten to a place where we have become focused on ritual, where we have possibly put the church process before the one who the church was built on, if at some point we're focusing more on being better people than how great he is, then we have to right some wrongs and we have to get back to a place of relationship with Jesus Christ that reconciles us with God. So the very first thing John tells us is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Next week, we're gonna learn even more. It's possible that now he's gonna move from being the Lamb to being our Lord. That's a whole other ball game. But we gotta get this first, right? We have to be able to get in a place where we understand that it's not about how good we are, it's about how good he is. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you have not sinned too bad, you have not made too bad of a mistake. Doesn't matter what you did last night or what you're thinking right now, there is not far enough that you can run. He's the Lamb of God. John 3.16 says that God sent him for you so that the sins that are keeping you from a relationship with God can be forgiven through his sacrifice and you can be reconciled to God. It starts today. So this journey is through the book of John and it is a journey to Jesus, but it's also the journey of you being reconciled to God. Who is Jesus? He's the lamb, the lamb of God. Father, we thank you right now for your word. Oh, we thank you for Jesus. And I just pray that when it comes to everybody who's watching, who's listening, you got people who are saying, I'm, I'm just not a church guy. I'm not, I'm not a church girl. Father, this is our time to just cut it all back and go back to the basics and remind ourselves that this entire thing was built on Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the Word. He's the life. He's the light. He's the Word that became flesh. And He's the Lamb of God. And because of Him and because of His death and His resurrection, my debts have been paid. My sins have been forgiven. And this life that was dead, lost, confused, purposeless. It's been raised to life through Christ. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for making him the lamb. We thank you for his crucifixion, for his life, for his love, for his mercy, for his grace. We thank you for his substitution. We thank you that you're a just God but you're also a God of grace. And when something perfect had to die so that we could be forgiven and reconciled with you, 
you stepped in Jesus, the Lamb of God. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.